Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about our free discovery call. If you're unsure how to start or build a consistent brand, let's talk. Just go to danielleclarkcreative.com to book your free discovery call and see how you can create a brand that helps you win more customers and reach your goals. Welcome to Build Better Brands. I'm Danielle Clark and this show is here to provide insights, techniques and strategies to help you establish a better brand with confidence and clarity. We're on a mission to help as many people as possible start and build stronger brands so they can create happier, healthier lives for themselves and those around them. Welcome to another episode of Build Better Brands. Today I'm joined by Kate Richardson-Walsh, the most capped female hockey player in her country. Kate was captain of the GB women's hockey team for 13 years and led the team to a nail-biting victory at the Rio Olympic Games in 2016. Kate has made over 370 appearances for her country and maintained elite performance levels for over 17 years. She was instrumental in creating the high-performance team that ultimately won in Rio. Since retiring from international hockey, Kate is turning her experience towards coaching, encouraging the grassroots development of the game and applying the leadership and performance lessons of a career in elite sport to the corporate environment. She's also actively involved in promoting women's sports and supporting inclusive and disability inclusive hockey and is ambassador for Access Sports. In this podcast, we'll be discussing her journey, leadership strategies and lessons that can be applied to the business and branding world. So today I'm joined by Kate Richardson-Walsh. So hi Kate, thanks for joining us. Hello, thank you very much for having me on. I'm looking forward to having a good chat. So um, how are you and where are you at the moment? Where are you in the world? I love that you've asked how am I because we don't, don't, people don't ask that as much anymore I don't feel like these days. I don't know if it's because we're afraid of the answer. Um, I'm good, there's lots going on. Like there's, I feel like I'm spinning plates a bit at the moment but but that's, I'm okay. It's like manageable plate spinning. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm good. Um, and I'm in our flat in North London. Okay. Amazing. So, um, I'm glad you're okay. Um, plate spinning. Yeah. I think that's, that's common, um, in, you know, as, as business owners and people that are naturally busy, um, but yeah, North London. Nice. So uh, hopefully the sun's shining there. It's shining here. Um, I'm in Derbyshire, which is in the middle of the UK, for people that don't know. Um, but it's still a bit cold today, so I'm hoping it, it warms up a bit soon. So obviously I invited you onto the show because I think it's fair to say you know a bit about building teams and leading high-performance teams, having captained GB Women's Hockey for best part of, correct me if I'm wrong, 14, 13 years? 13, yeah, 13, 14 years, yeah, yeah. So it's, I think it's fair to say you've got first-hand experience in the importance of team culture, 
uh, vision, having shared values, uh, achieving success, and their skills, I believe, that are really important, not only for sports teams, but in business as well. So I thought, well, who, who better to get on and have a chat about all of that? I can remember a time where you showed real resilience, that I saw real resilience. And I want to cast your mind back a little bit. There's a particular moment in your career. I was watching on TV, London 2012, Olympic Games. You were uh, playing against Japan and you suffered a broken jaw. You underwent surgery. I think you missed out on, I think it was, I say only, I think it was like two games. And then you came back. (laughs) Enormous resilience and leadership. Just how did you do that? Just talk us through what was going on in your head. I mean, do you know, sometimes I look back at that period and I do think, how did I do that? Like, when would I be able to do it now? But, you know, we all find ourselves in, you know, challenging situations and somehow the majority of the time we, like, pull ourselves through somehow, some way to the other side and, like, sometimes it takes a long time. Um, But that was such a snapshot, short amount of time and... um, to be honest, if I was by myself, I'm I'm not sure whether I would have gotten through it in the way that I did. I really lent on my support network. So my parents and my sister particularly was just amazing in just giving me all of her energy and belief and hope when I really didn't have any for a short amount of time when I was in hospital. Um, and then just the wonder of my teammates and my now wife Helen we weren't married then it was before we were married but she stepped up to be 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 the captain whilst I was in hospital and so she was going through all that you know whirlwind of a moment and and just the the culture that we created was was such that everybody was leading was like leading themselves and leading the team and so actually it just it just carried on regardless which was which was a most amazing thing to to see and be a part of. And just all the, you know, the support services, the physio, the doctor, the um, strength and conditioning coach, like they were just all incredible and just gave me, quite literally gave me all their energy. That's amazing. I, I um, when you said then, you were talking about the team and the fact that you'd created this culture, it sounds like a culture where people felt comfortable enough to be able to lead that is just so important isn't it and and I think it can often you'll find that there's this perception that people that are leaders are the ones that are loud and at the forefront of everything I've witnessed that and and often people that are more introvert um, you get that a lot within um, the creative space as well a lot of people are introvert they don't always feel like they're allowed to to be leaders, do they? Yeah. No, you're so, I mean, you're so right. And, you know, how I was brought up, for the most part, it was that I say you do. It was one person that stood at the front, had the loudest voice, shouted at everybody. That is what I grew up knowing and understanding what leadership was. And so for me, leadership looked like the most alien thing in the world. I mean, I'm, you know, I was really shy as a teenager 
would blush and then I'd feel embarrassed because I was blushing and then I would withdraw um, and just didn't want to use my voice at all, which, you know, I find is really common um, in lots of the teams that I've either been in since or coached since I stopped playing. Um, Yeah, that team, I think, felt like for the first time, I don't know if it's because we spent more time together because it was the first time we had a full-time training programme in the lead-up to London, felt like there was more space to like really connect with people and understand them um, and understand each other and actually yeah build out that space that diff- that people need those different spaces um but I don't think it was until right until the very end that we really truly fully understood the power of um everybody having a voice but understanding that that is going to look really different for a lot of people and actually do you know sometimes not speaking at all is also totally fine. Just taking things in and, and and taking time and going away to think about it and then bringing your thoughts back to the group. That, there, was, they also, there also needs to be space for that, um, and which is hard. It's hard in a team because especially when everything's fast-paced, you need it now, everything's so instant these days. It is often those loud voices and the people that um, that really command attention, that like get get the you know get the microphone all the time and actually we need to make sure we're passing it around yeah I think that's so true and um I've been guilty of that because I'm I'm naturally loud I naturally you know I've always liked talking um hence the podcast (laughs) and because of that in the past there's been times where whether it's in, because I play hockey too, I play for um, a team. I discovered hockey at uni because um, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to keep active. I wanted to be social. I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get fat. <laughs> University <laughs> will do that to you, let me tell yeah. you. I'm, I'm one of the youngest of, um, in my kind of group of friends and a lot of them went to uni before me and they came back and, you know, a lot of them had put on a little bit of weight and weren't doing the sport, getting takeaways, drinking. And my my mindset was like, I really don't want that to happen. So hence me joining hockey. Anyway, going off on a tangent now. But yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> and as someone that loves talking and, and is naturally loud, in the past, there's been times where I've I've been around people that are more introvert, that don't really talk. And because they're not reacting to a situation the way that I would, because they're not maybe showing their emotions in the way that I would, I've wondered whether they're listening, whether they actually care, um, whether we're on the same page. Because of my own, what I realise now, my own kind of having these expectations of people to react and respond and, and do things the way that I would do them because that's all I know. Um, I realise how wrong that is now. But it's such a good reflection. And I've noticed that we've just, we've got a daughter, she's three, and she's she's quite introverted. My wife's quite introverted as well, and um, naturally. And I've really noticed like my bias, I suppose, and my preference, um, but also, I'd say the majority of people that she interacts with or comes, you know, in, in touch with, it's it's seen as a bad thing. You know, how people say, Oh, she's she's quite quiet, isn't she? She's quite it's not seen as a it's not seen as a good thing at all. Like it's really mm-hmm. like a you know, is she okay? Like what's wrong with her? And I, 
it's like I'm having to really think about my own thoughts about it. I'm like, no, she's, gosh, she's fine. Like, this is just who she is. And, you know, I don't know, she's three. Like, maybe she'll she'll change and she'll grow. And, or, or she might stay like this, and that's also totally good. We, we need different people we are different and I think it's that it's it's going back to that you know we've got to celebrate our differences otherwise I mean wouldn't life be so boring if it was all the same we need to really like lift difference up and and I think that is what introversion is a really interesting one absolutely and I totally agree and um I've actually I've I've not finished it but I have been reading your book yours and um yours and uh, Helen's book uh, winning together um and it's been fascinating I love how you both give your opinions which are are often quite different as well and it's really honest and there's a particular point in the book that I've got to actually where you talk about you I think it's I think it was 2008 so you were in a lift with two uh two hockey players that are mocking and ridiculing you about wanting to change the uh to create a centralized program right for Great Britain because previous to that you had England, Wales, Scotland, you know, you're all playing under your individual countries and it's about bringing the team together and that's that's kind of your mission at the moment. You you're you want that to happen and it's you know, it's happening. And there's two two hockey players, two male hockey players in the lift that are, are kind of taking a mick out of you wanting to do that, but you don't retaliate. <laughs> you manage your emotions. Like how how do you manage your emotions when you're being challenged and ridiculed like that? Is uh do you know, actually, I look back at that moment quite often and I actually sometimes wish I hadn't managed my emotions. Really? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I sometimes, yeah, sometimes I wish I, I'm quite an emotional person, but sometimes in those, like, um, really, like, close-up interactions, like when it's happening right there in front of you, to you, um, I don't know if it's, like, fright or flight, but I just kind of, I it stays in and, and afterwards I have to go, oh, you know why didn't I just say this you know why didn't I just speak my mind why didn't I just let some of the anger out because actually I think and I don't know if that's because we've been conditioned to be that way like as women particularly you know to keep that in like if you you know if a big shouty angry you know as well being gay like a big shouty angry lesbian like it's just not the stereotype that everybody loves so you then I don't know like if you do keep it in but there are some times and that one being one of them where I just wished I'd gone do you know what? This is what we need to do. You know, we're going to do it. You carry on doing your thing, but we believe this is what we need to go and succeed. And it'd be quite nice, you know, being our counterparts, if you could, you know, celebrate that a bit, or, you know, at least, you know, let's see how we get on rather than mocking it before we've even started. Like, I just sometimes wish I was a bit quicker. It's also a quickness of thought, maybe, for me. <laughs> just to say something back. Um but we did. I can I mean, relate. <laughs> really? Yeah. Can you? Oh. Yeah, totally. Because it's it's you know something. Uh, I won't go into too too much detail, but something something happened and something was said to me in a situation, and and I was very mindful of keeping calm um, because I didn't want to get labelled as the angry black woman. 
because that's a stereotype that is so often, you know, kind of, you know, um, used and and then and then it happens and then you sleep on it and you reflect and you're like, oh, I wish I'd have said this and why did I worry about that? I should have just told them to, do you know what I mean? And so I, I get it, totally get it. I mean, it's, I don't know what that hard. must be like. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that must be like for you. And I think that we need to have, that's what I mean. I think we need to have the understanding of like, what's your experience? Like, um, what are you having to hold back? Because, you know, you the, the the negative narrative and stereotypes that have been built by, well, frankly, the white patriarchy that has, like, that has put us in these positions and holding us back and holding us down. And, yeah, managing, managing our state and managing our emotions, I think, is important. But at the same time, there also needs to be an understanding of unless we hear from people what they're what they are feeling what they're experiencing how are we ever going to move on as a society um and I think lots of that is about whether I've experienced homophobia or sexism those are probably the moments when I wished I'd spoken or or I'd seen somebody else experiencing racism or ableism I think that those are the moments that and I'm trying to get so much better at it at actually just speaking up in those moments and saying something because Otherwise, those people carry on in their lives thinking that they're right and, you know, they should always have the, the dominant voice and the and the right. And, and they, they, you know, we need to challenge that status quo. And that's kind of on all of us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But it sounds like with what you've done with the team that, you know, there's lots you're you're using what you've learned then to to build up your your coaching and your consulting now. But you were you've really been on a journey to to kind of get the team to to where it got to um in particular you were talking about culture um and wanting to create an environment where you said people felt like they were being heard um they were being listened to um a culture where people felt like they were empowered um and it kind of all centered around this vision so you wrote a vision and then it, it kind of changed. And I mean, tell us about the journey you and, and the team went through to, to kind of align um, and create this culture. So, we'd, you know, ever since I started playing when I was like 19 in the team, we'd had, you know, we'd have meetings about um, mission statements or goals. And, we'd you know, some, we'd even talk about values sometimes and we'd write some stuff down. And, you know, honestly it would pretty much live on the page that we wrote it on. It, it just, it wouldn't transcend from that moment. It would just stay in that meeting room in that time. Um, but when we had more time together, when we had a, that full-time programme, we could spend more time talking about it. Um, but we could also spend more time embedding it into what we were doing. So it didn't just live in that meeting room. It was in like processes and habits and in how we behaved and how we interacted with one another and how we showed up for ourselves and each other. And so in the London cycle, our vision was gold and it was simple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> athletes have simple minds, but it was, <laughs> it was, um, it was more about confronting a fear. I think there was, a, you know, some women couldn't say the words gold. They were, they were that afraid of it. Wow. The, yeah. The fear of failure was real 
for a lot of people because we'd failed a lot like so, so it's kind of understandable mm. um so we put that out there as our vision for london and then we underpinned it with like some pretty generic values i'm not gonna lie um but we started to talk about for the first time behaviors and that is when things really started to change because in building out this kind of behavioral framework together we could very for the very first time understand what we were challenging ourselves against but also what we could challenge each other against so it wasn't just you know the captain because they'd been voted in as the leader and they could challenge everybody it was actually everybody could challenge everybody else and also celebrate when people are also demonstrating really good behaviors as well um and i think that was quite a mature group in that in that london squad and and i think that's why it worked just that principle of you know, this is what it means to be part of this group. And it really did create a sense of belonging. It wasn't perfect by any stretch. Um, but it, it did feel, because it was ours, we did feel empowered and it, and it did feel like we we had value and we had worth. I think with, within the playing group, I think that was definitely a feeling that we created. But we didn't, I don't think we were fully conscious of how powerful that was or we weren't we can't have been because then after London we didn't have that conversation we, we talked about vision and values again and we re-established them but we didn't we didn't talk about behaviors at all and it in it and it told very quickly it started to unravel very very quickly because because there wasn't an agreement or even a discussion um it just became one person's word against another and that is such a, a scary place to be because who rules? You know, the, the loud voices suddenly become the dominant voices. There isn't a safety of space for everybody in that group. And um, there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame, and it started to be, get quite personal. There were character mm. assassinations, and it was, it was not a nice place to be at all. Um, and it seems crazy that just because you didn't talk about behaviours and what isn't, isn't acceptable, like how does it unravel to that level? Um, but actually, loads of the companies that I go into, they don't go into that detail. It is quite literally a set of values often that it's handed down to them from above. And there's no thought about what that means for them day to day, you know, what people should see and hear and feel, what they should see and hear and, fe uh, hear and feel in themselves. And so it doesn't it doesn't bring it to life. There isn't a joined up alignment that like you said to to a culture, and therefore it just it just doesn't work. I think I think Brené Brown said something like ten or eleven percent of organisations operationalise their values into behaviours, which kind of blows your mind. But then actually, when you sit and think about it, you think, yeah, obviously, because you you can really tell the ones that do. Like I think like Ben and Jerry's, for example. I think. I think Airbnb do it quite well. I think Apple do it quite well. I think there's like some who are really feel like they're engaged with who they are. They're really in yeah. tune with who they are. Mm. Um, but there's not many that, that have it. No. Do you think that's because uh, they've... Because I was... Because within brand, I always talk to small businesses about... Often they'll come to me and they'll talk about logos and stuff first. And I'm like, well, actually, there's, there's bits before that. There's your strategy and right at the very, very start, there's your why. And figuring that out. And when I ask that, I often get a bit of a blank face. <laughs> and I wonder if, if it's the same with these companies that, that maybe initially it was about 
something else. There was another goal in the way that that I think similarly when you were um, building the team and, and the focus was around winning gold, it wasn't the right goal. It wasn't the right why as to why you were doing what you were doing. And, and I, th- I feel like once teams start to get their why right and everyone's aligned on that, why we're here, it's got to be bigger than that, hasn't it? And then that's when behaviours maybe start to change. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think in some ways that one for London was, wasn't far off, mm. but it didn't capture everyone. And I think that was its downfall, is that not everybody, it wasn't lighting everybody's fire. Not everyone could align to it in the same way. Whereas in the eventually, when in the last 18 months before Rio, when we went back to look at our vision, vibes and behaviours, we went back to having a more, it was a, absolutely more of a purpose. Uh, the vision was about past, present and future. Um, and people could absolutely align to it in a very personal way. So it was be the difference create history, inspire the future. Yeah. So there's still space in there for someone to be like, I'm here to win an Olympic gold medal. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, yeah. There's absolutely that. And, you know, to a large extent, that was, you know, probably the one of the big drivers for, for me and certainly mm. for my wife, Ellen. Um, but there's also space in there to say, okay, I want 30,000 more kids picking up a hockey stick. I want to take hockey into inner city schools. I want to start disability hockey in all the clubs in the country. Like... There's also absolutely space for all of that. Yeah. And and I think that's why that worked, is that it was it was very personal to each individual in a very different way, but it was also aligned. And I think yeah. if you can find that, you you're really gonna move in, in a good direction. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I was just looking through the values. So the first one you had was gold. No, not the values, sorry, the um the goal. It was just one word. The vision was gold. Then after that it was better than yesterday, striving for gold. Oh, and then I hate <laughs> that one. I don't I don't I hate that one. I mean it literally <laughs> makes my skin like crawl. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't in a good place then. No. Um I imagine it can it can be easy to get caught up in the end goal um Mm. especially you know off the back of getting bronze in 2012 you know it was a lot of a lot of a team it was it was our last opportunity wasn't it Mm. Mm. um yeah and it for some it must have been heartbreaking so you get kind of you can when when you've had i suppose it could be described as for some quite a traumatic, you know, heartbreaking experience. Um, then you get hung up on that never happening again, right? And you become so focused and, and tunnel visioned and to the point where you can forget that it's about actually enjoying the journey as well. Um, I do a little, I do some lecturing and, and, um, the students are always talking about like their end goal and they're always talking about like job titles and and often salaries and things like that and I'm like that's great but if you don't enjoy the journey and you're miserable when you actually if and when you reach that end goal it's gonna feel 
it's going to feel horrendous because you're not enjoying the journey. Um, so I'm always trying to instill that in them. Um, I'd love to sit what's in your the... lectures. Sorry, say that again. <laughs> I said, I'd love to sit in your lectures. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Di. <laughs> Maybe we could get you to do um, a guest lecture a bit. They'd love that. They don't want to listen um, to me. They want to listen to you. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> listen to both of us. Break it up. Mm. So enjoying the journey is really important, right? Can you? Mm. How? You know, and be as honest as you want to be. But how has the journey actually been? You know, being having played hockey for what was it? Eighteen years. Eighteen years. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, the transition as well from, mm. you know, the fact that you've retired and, and you were doing something that you absolutely loved to, you know, how has that been? Mm. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, I don't think I really fully appreciated how important it was to enjoy the journey until the journey felt really bad. And, mm. you know, it's like, why am I doing this? It, you know, got got so bad, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, this is painful. Like, there's nothing enjoyable here at all. What is, what is going on? And I think when I then reconnected to, to why am I doing it? What's my purpose? What's lighting me up here? What's going to get me out of bed and make me do these hard sessions with my teammates? Like, I think once I got back in touch with that, like, I started to open up again and like flourish again um but the journey is is everything and it's how you know it's how we measure success culturally like as societies like how do we measure success we knew as as olympians and paralympians you know if you don't win medals at the olympics and the paralympics your funding is probably going to get cut it could Mm. be cut a little bit it could be cut a lot um, yeah. And that really impacts how you train. It impacts the future. It impacts the next generation of athletes. It's so there is a there is a big focus placed on outcome. Um, and actually, as you said, you then lose sight of the joy of the, the present, the joy of what you're doing right now, the people that you're with, the the hard things that you've just done um, and overcome. Like you you don't you miss all of that really rich life experience um and I think Helen speaks to it beautifully like she said she spoke to one of the GB men's rowers and he said let me tell you now winning an Olympic gold medal will it will not make you happy and she said for her it was like a lightning bulb moment because she had placed all her future happiness on winning that Olympic gold medal and she was like what that's what I'm doing it for that's quite literally what I'm doing it for and you've just told me that's not going to happen wow I need to find some happiness somewhere else I need to find some joy somewhere else here because that ain't gonna be it and it's exactly as you said like we aim for you know a car house the partner Mm. like whatever it is and actually unless we are happy in ourselves we can never really be happy um and I've learned that probably the the most in retirement um because again I kind of well, I suppose I hit rock bottom a little bit again because I felt like I'd lost myself. I was doing something that was well, that was tough as a hockey player. It was hard. It wasn't e- it wasn't easy, but 
I'd reached a level of master, mastery at it and was in some way in a part of a comfort zone, not fully. Um, and then when you come out of that, you know, I'm just like a fish out of water. It's like, you know, what's my purpose now? Like, I don't have a purpose anymore. I'm, I've been aligned to this team purpose that's been ever-changing, but, you know, who am I? What are my values? What are my strengths? What can I bring... Just everything, it questioned, it made me question everything. It forced me to question everything. And it's been a hard journey. I mean, this will be my seventh year of retirement. And I sound like I'm in AA or something, don't I? I'm making a 12-step program. <laughs> it, it does feel, it feels a bit like that. I've not, I've, I've been in therapy, but I've not been in um, addiction, addiction, addiction therapy. But um it does feel it does feel like a bit like it's like it's just time and and learning and failing and growing and um finding out who i am um without that persona of what i did previously it's still part of me of course it is but it's not it doesn't um it's not who i am anymore it was, it's just part of me yeah i think i can i can see how how that can happen because we become we often identify we put labels on ourselves and the things that we do kind of start to define us i get it with some of my friends that are now mothers it's it's like the fact that they're a mother now is literally their identity and i kind of think well what about all the stuff what about the person that you were before you were a mum, like you had all these other interests and things and are they do they just not matter or you you just and I don't wanna you know, I'm not saying that not being a mum's important, but it's like they're they're just a mother and they've forgotten about who they are as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. You do, because I don't know, I don't know if it's because it's easy, I don't know if it's how I've been conditioned. But like you say, we like being, you know, Labels are easy. Mm. Like being in a box, being pigeonholed and being a thing is is easy to wrap your head around almost. And it's easier it to describe yourself to other people. You then connect with people because, oh, they're X like me. And so yeah. we must be... <laughs> and, and and anybody not in that is like, we don't, you don't understand me. Like, yeah. you know, you're not... We're not the same thing. You can't, you can't possibly know what it's like, you know, and it's... Mm. Yeah, it's really divisive, um, actually. I mean, it obviously does bring people together as well, but it is it creates... I mean, isn't that where we are as a society, though, right now? It feels like, every, you know, you've got to pick a side. Everyone's yeah, polarised. It, it does. I um, It's one of the reasons I've stopped watching the news, but that's another story. <laughs> it is. And, you know, as someone that has also had a therapy um you know I try and I try and pay attention to the things that I can control and the things that I can't and um I think that's really important and having you know seen seen your career and read your book it feels like that you're it felt like you really did have a get a grasp on just focusing on the things that you could control like trying to bring the team together like you know the way that you were training and and 
making sure that GB had a, you know, a centralized program, all of those things, you were like, right, what can I control? Those are the things that are going to start to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and of course, I'm a hockey player and I'm a fan. So we're going to have to talk about that historic moment <laughs> of GB winning the gold medal in 2016, um, the Rio Olympics. Um, I remember being in my friend's living room two fellow hockey players and we were watching <laughs> we were watching that final match against Netherlands who have always been like up there haven't mm, they like, yeah. I can remember um what was going through your head if you can cast your mind back that far during that final match against Netherlands it's really hard and memories are really hard because you're like, is, yeah. that, is that a memory or is that like video footage that I've seen <laughs> in this really shape? Like what actually, I do remember being in the in the tunnel before we walked out. So like when you've done your warm up and then you, you basically walk out with the opposition right next to you and there's no one else in the tunnel and you're underneath the stadium. So the noise is all above you of the supporters, but in the tunnel, it's like really quiet and it's, and I just remember standing at the front of the, the squad and just feeling like, I don't know, I, I serene, I'm not sure, like ready, mm. just, yeah, like focusing on what I can control is a really good way of talking about it, actually, is, well, all I can do right now is is to just go out, do my job to the best of my ability for my team, try and do the tactics that the coach has set us, work really hard, and what will be will be. It just felt a bit like that, which, you know, maybe is is a bit easier when you're in the final and you kind of know you're going to win an Olympic medal. But once you've got that far, you want to make sure it's it's the goal one. So, but the yeah, it was just like a let's go, you know, let's just yeah. let's see what let's go and let's see what happens here, and we'll just give it our give it our all. And we were the underdogs, like you said. The, I mean, the Netherlands they should have Netflix documentaries written. Honestly. <laughs> They were going for their third gold medal in a row. They won again in Tokyo. Like, they're just mm. in, incredible. That ability to win and win and win again. So, so we were complete underdogs and we didn't have that pressure of expectation at all. And we just believed in ourselves and we believed that we could... Um, we believed that we could beat them, but we believed that we could beat them either in the game or in the sh- in the shootout. Um, so we kind of had little two bites at a cherry. Um but yeah, I say that the squad was the is as a whole was the most mindful we've been for the two weeks of the games because we played what in the end eight games in fourteen days and it we just were of we were just together and in the moment which um, is a really special place to be. I mean, if you could bottle that and sell it, it'd be yeah, that would be a good business. Be coming to you for brand strategy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but get being mindful, being in the moment, controlling what you can control is it. That's all you can do. It's really all you can do, and you just have to make the best of whatever situation is put in front of you. And you know, it's easy to say that sitting here now, but if you can have that mindset, you're gonna learn and grow whether you win or lose, or you get you're gonna there's some growth here. Like I, I feel like if you can be of that mindset, you're you're gonna be in a good place. Yeah, mindset, it comes up so often, all the time. Because this thing, this brain of ours is so powerful. (laughs) 
and I'm always talking about it. And since becoming a business owner, I've, it's that's when I really started to to understand how important mindset is because it just it it impacts absolutely everything you do, every decision you make, direction you take, whether you you think an idea should happen or not. Um, and it's the same, you know, as well when I'm playing hockey. Right. So when I think back to some of my best games that I've ever played, more often than not, and this is going to sound really bad, <laughs> I've had quite a good night out the night before. <laughs> I hear this a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm just happy to be there. Yeah. And I've just turned up and I've gone, right, I'm here. I have a good warm up. I try and hydrate. I'm going to do my absolute best. And whatever happens, happens. Mm. And turning up with that mindset, I have, I've had some of my best games. Yeah. Because I'm just, I'm in such a good mood. Yeah. And it's almost like you enter, I enter this, um, I think it's described by some people as like a flow state. Yeah. Where I'm not really... It's quite hard to explain, but I'm not really thinking about what I'm actually doing. I'm just doing it. Yeah. And it hasn't happened often, um, but there was one particular game we played. um, It was a friendly against, I think it was Alton. I say friendly. I say friendly. I use that term lightly because it's a game's a game, right? It's never friendly. There's never (laughs) any friendlies. (laughs) And um, I'd I'd just got back from Manchester that morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, is this game on video? Can we can we watch it? <laughs> no, it's not on video. It's not on video. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know if because I'm friends with Sally as well, Sally Walton. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she was there or one of her 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 teammates was there. Anyway, it shouldn't have gone well, but I I got subbed on because I started off. And within about two minutes, I scored a goal and everyone was like, what? And so when we talk about mindset, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not saying you should do that, anyone. Um, you know, <laughs> go out in Manchester. It is, Manchester's cool, though. It is really um, cool. As, of course, you know, because that's where you're from. Is, but, yeah, um, yeah mindset, it's it's huge. Mm. It's absolutely huge. And as soon as I just take the pressure off myself and just relax and go, okay, I'm here to do this. I'm going to do my best and what will be will be. Everything changes. Mm. So true. Yeah, we, I mean, you you can do it without having a good night out of course. the night before. I mean, of good, course you can. I mean, you can have a good night out the night before. Why not? Um <laughs> Our psychologist used to um, do a thing with us. She's um, Dr. Andrea First. She used to do a thing with us called A Game, which is effectively doing what you just said, is getting yourself into that state when you are in flow. And it was, ba- and everybody's, everybody's different, but it was basically, what do you, what does flow state look like for you? So like, can you... Like, can you go back and remember what that felt like? What did you do in preparation? Um, just anything physically, mentally, emotionally, like where where were you? And then can you start to like learn by through trial and error 
what do you need to do, I don't know, the night before, the day of a big performance or, you know, maybe in a business setting, like a big pitch meeting or like something like that. Like, what do you mentally and physically and emotionally, what do you have to do to get yourself in that state? So, you know, for me, I needed to get all my stuff together the night before. And I would, you know, they'd let the, some of the girls would laugh at me and like, it'd be a joke. You know, we could be playing, like in Argentina, you could play at nine o'clock at night. The night before I would still, or I would already have like my heart rate monitor, Astro's kit, you know, everything laid out, ready to go. Because I knew I needed to be able to mentally tune into things I needed to tune into on game day. I don't want to be thinking about, oh, where's my Astro's? I can't only find, you know, one shin pad. I wanted to have it all done. So it wasn't running around faffing. I could just be, my head could be where it needed to be. Like I do all of my kind of visualization as I was going to sleep the night before a game for the game the next day I'd be really I would be living it with my eyes closed everything that I was going to do see feel where the opposition were going to be what they look like what the skills they had like I was feeling it all um again the night before so I'd got it got that done um and then emotion I'm really emotional and for me it was about kind of just tuning into where I'm at where I need to be, like, am I too hyped up? Am I too laid back? Like, where do I need to be on game day? And then as captain, getting a bit of a sense of where the team were, like, again, do they need to be pulled back down? Do they need to focus? Do we need actually a bit of a G up? Like, what, what, what is it? Where are we and where do we need to be? And it, so getting all that prep done and also nutrition, sleep, all of that stuff as well, like, just getting myself as ready as I could be to then just go and do and just let it flow like that that when you know and that took years by the way and you know still still hit and miss a little bit with it but it took me years to like work that out but I think just that process and she only came in unfortunately towards the very end but I think just that process of really tuning into yourself and what you need Mm -hmm. to enable yourself to just go and do what you know how to do you know, you know how to you know how to play hockey. You know how to score a goal. You know how to pass the ball. You know to have to do all those skills. When we overthink it and we put pressure on ourselves for everything to be perfect, and we take too much external noise in, it completely debilitates our our ability to just go and deliver. So just take all that out of the equation and and just go and do. I think that that is what the A game is. Totally, just do it. No, I end up talking about Nike every episode. It's a good one to talk about, to be fair. It's a good one to talk about. It's, I mean, Shoe Dog is, I think, one of the best books I've read, and it's a really interesting brand. I'm yet to read it, you know. Oh, it's good. I know. I keep good. it's on my. It's, it's on. I've got a long list of books. I'll get there. Same. Um, so. Obviously, a lot of people listening to this will be business owners as well. Mm. Um, And you do find, actually, a lot of business owners will have some kind of, whether it's a competitive sport or they're into weight training or there'll be something else like that 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 they do. There seems to be this link in terms of, as well, like leadership, teamwork, as we talked about, perseverance, if we talked about. I'm sure there's been a lot of lessons learned um, over the past 18 or so years and longer. Um, which ones do you think are the most important that you've learned as well as being an Olympic athlete that 
then allowed you to use that are translated now into what you're doing in the business world? I think the first one that springs to mind when you said that is like being myself, like authenticity I think is is really key. And there's a couple of things that kind of unlock that for me. Um, so the first one was um, Phil Jackson's books. He's, he was an NBA player and a coach and he coached the Chicago um, Bulls when like Jordan played in that era. Mm. Um, and he talks in his book, 12 Rings, he talks a lot about him leading from within. I just love that analogy of this, this is all within you and of course you're gonna grow and change and adapt. And he was absolutely of that mindset, but also that fundamentally the, the skills that you need are within you. And I just, I really loved that. Plus, I think Brené Brown talking about um, you can't belong to anything or anybody unless you belong to yourself first, like that you have to fully accept yourself. So I think that is one of wow. the... I know, it's, it was deep. Like it, when I read that, I was like... That's deep. <laughs> she, I love Brené Brown. She so talks you can't about, belong to anyone? can't belong to anyone or anything unless you firstly belong to yourself and I was like yeah that I'm gonna yeah I need to put the book down at this point and just let that just sit there for a bit um which book was that Kate god what is it now I'm gonna is it return to no that's Marion Williamson who but what is it now don't worry I'll put you on the spot can't remember it's okay I'll find it. Find it, yeah. But it's oh, it's a red one. <laughs> it's a red book. <laughs> Brilliant. That's how I. I'm gonna. Bl- I am blaming the perimenopause, by the way, for everything at the minute. Like if I've got a bit of memory loss, if I'm sweating, if I'm something, I'm blaming it on the perimenopause. So I'm just gonna blame it on that. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So I think that that I think because. I, you know, for the longest time I was told, you know, shut your emotions away. They're not going to help you as a leader. People are going to use them against you. Don't be over-emotional. You know, don't be vulnerable. People mm. people will attack. And so I did. And I was it, was, it was so robotic. And people couldn't relate to me in a human way because I always seemed to be okay. Of course, I wasn't okay. And they couldn't connect to me because they were they were either really happy or they were really sad or they were angry and they wanted someone to be empathetic with them and sit with them and go, mm. oh, yeah, I feel you like I I've, you know I can't imagine what it's like and and sit with them and talk about it and be open about emotions. So that that was a big one for me. Um, being authentic, being yourself. Being authentic, being yourself. Yeah, I I talk about that all the time. I used to I used to really. I mean. If I'm honest, sometimes I still do because I'm human, but especially when I started my business, I used to really worry about how I'd come across on social media. Mm. And for ages, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go. The thought of like going on video or anything like that, I was like, hell no. I didn't even want to post or like share my opinions or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, And on LinkedIn, because a lot of my contacts were like old colleagues or bosses or people that knew me before I had my own business so I used to think oh what are they gonna think like they're gonna be like oh who like who does she think she is starting a business yeah 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 <laughs> this, this was this was what I used to tell myself yeah um and it's yeah it was my own just kind of my own again we talked about mindset my own self-limiting beliefs getting in the way when actually a lot of the time people people don't think about you as much as you think they do (laughs) yeah 
My dad said that not... to me when I was very young. Did he? Yeah. It was a hard moment. Mm. <laughs> but they don't, because everyone's got stuff going on, right? Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, he didn't say it as nicely as that. He said, um, <laughs> I think it was something like, we got far better things to be talking about than you. Okay. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks a lot. I'll put that down in the one to keep. Yeah. Well, is is your dad from Stockport? He is. Yeah. So I imagine it was quite. Yeah. Yeah. Blunt and. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had plenty of that growing up, which which you know helped me massively in lots of ways. To be fair, um, I think we you know you need a bit of good honest truth, don't you? So. Well, absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely so um we've talked about memories uh is there a favorite memory along this journey that you've had that isn't necessarily related specifically to the competition you know is there anything about what happened no junior Olympic career mm. that's really made you smile or like feel really amazing. I mean, there's I mean, there's probably lots, and actually, that's a really good thing. I should probably sit down and just write down because that's a nice yeah yeah write a book about it. Yeah, I'll talk about it, yeah. I think the one that I talk about the most um, there's a it was three weeks out from the London Olympic Games and we were allowed to train on the pitches in the um, in the Olympic Park when it was literally like a building site and there was literally just two hockey pitches down with rubble everywhere around it and um, and every week we'd kind of come in a little bit more the stadium was, would be built up and a bit more of the infrastructure would be put in and like you know there was that excitement growing, but also at the same time, there was also a bit of trepidation because there was 28 of us training and only 16 were going to get selected. And this memory in particular, so it's three weeks to go. So the stadium's done, everything's in place. They just need to put like the Olympic wrapping around the stadium and stuff and all the flags and the banners up. Um, and we've had selection. So... Um, 16 players have had their dreams made like if, if nothing changes if no one gets injured like this these 16 women know they're going to go to those olympics and represent their country represent this squad of 28 and then there's there was the one we weren't this one i remember this day there were the two couldn't make it but so there were 10 others there who'd had their hearts broken they'd like dreams shattered mm. like they're not going they're not going in three weeks time they're not going to put on that kit and walk out with their teammates and um we all had to keep training right up until the start of the Olympics in case anything happened, in case anybody got injured. Including the ones that didn't get picked? Including the ones that didn't get picked, yeah. So that, so on this day, wow. three weeks to go, we are all there, bar two just couldn't make training that day. And we, on this day, the coach, the strength and conditioning coach, like physical trainer, gets us to do this session called a break in reality. And it was basically just running until he said stop. And like normally you kind of know a rough number, like this is going to be a hard session. We're probably going to get to these number of repetitions where we sailed through that. And I honestly can't tell you like how many repetitions we did. He just said, he just said, he kept saying, get up. 
And I know it, it genuinely was evil, right? But however hard it was, like, you know, and physically you just get to the point of I've got nothing left. Um, I just remember really clearly at some point in that session, like getting myself up off the floor and getting my toe behind the baseline to go again and just looking to my right hand side and just seeing all these incredible women like getting themselves up and especially those women who hadn't been selected. Mm. You know, they were pushing themselves still, pushing me still, pushing this team still to be better. And the courage and the bravery that that requires, the discipline that that requires, the sense of team that requires. And, you know, I just felt this overwhelming sense of pride and belonging to, to that to that group of women. Like, a, it was a, it's a really special um, bond, you know, and we weren't best friends and we had lots of, you know, arguments and, you know, difficulties and challenges. But fundamentally when I see any of those women, and I'd include the Rio squad in the same breath, you know, if I see any of them, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a relative. It's like, it's something deep. It's a deep connection. And I don't think I really fully appreciate how special that was until I was outside of that, until I don't, I don't feel that anymore in the same way. And I look back now and I just think, wow, you know, how lucky am I to have, been in and belonged to a group of women who were aligned to something bigger than themselves and were really trying to do something special um I think that more than any medal and you know, and honestly I can say that more than any medal those are the memories that I will keep it will stay bright forever um because they are they're deep human needs you know a sense of value worth belonging love like these are all things that we need and we don't talk about them enough, particularly in a business sense. We it it feels too fluffy and away from the outcome and the goal and the target. It it, it just feels too far removed, but we spend so much time at work. Like, and if we can't feel that at work, then we're missing out massively as humans, I think. What a beautiful memory you've just shared. Yeah. It's wow. a special one. I feel all tingly. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I do. Thanks for sharing that. That was lovely. <laughs> it shows the power of just being, you know, being aligned to to a common, mm. you know, a, a common goal that you all truly believe in. Because that, I mean, I've done drills in hockey. My God. <laughs> no. I always say to people, I don't like running. That's why I play hockey. <laughs> exactly what my wife says she hates running hates it hates it mm. <laughs> run after a ball all day long but yeah yeah wow amazing so talked about obviously the relationship between sport and business and you just touched on some really important things that a lot of businesses don't necessarily think about because they are businesses but businesses are made up of people right so of course all those things are important um what actionable what actionable advice would you give to businesses that are specifically trying to improve culture you know team culture brand culture especially in challenging times because that what you've just described sounds like it was a really challenging time i think the 
the biggest thing I think first is is those is the behaviors is that when you've when you've got in touch with that your purpose as you've talked about so passionately and so brilliantly is is that this has got to be something bigger than a tangible target or a goal like it's got to have some sense of meaning like once you've kind of established that and aligned yourself to that like I think then working out what how what's going to take us there and the values will absolutely take you there but then get to that next level of but what what are the processes habits routines daily practices language you know everything that we are going to be do feel here like how is that going to serve this purpose like how is it going to get us there I think that is probably the most important thing and and in a you know if you're in a big company your your business is growing the, the question you know I get often is well that's all right Kate because you were only 30 players or 28 players that you know that's easy maybe to do we've got hundreds and it's like well I'm surely within those hundreds they have you have teams you're working in smaller teams and pods and groups so actually why don't each of those teams get into that themselves like what do these values mean to us personally so it can be really personalized for each each unit and the ability to share that cross unit because we hopefully aren't working in silos and it's cross-functional like if you're able to share that with other people in your company again it just it just keeps feeding the culture keeps feeding itself so I think mm. that would be the, the the first one and then the second one I'd say is um is tap into everybody's individual strengths like do you do well first of all do people know what their strengths are do they know what their value and worth is, what their role is? Like, do people fully, are they fully appreciative of what they bring to the team themselves? Can they share that with a team? Mm. Powerful. And then if you then sit in a team and then listen to everybody's strengths and sat around the table and you see how different you are and how collaborative you can be and the, the, the collective strength of the group will can make you unbreakable. And I think... I think that and it also helps you be resilient because if you've got lots of people with different strengths, you can have this sense of, well, we can find a way to win here or we can find a way to get through this in the best way because, you know, maybe it's this group of people, this one person, this pair will be able to be empowered, be lifted up and they can guide us through this time because they have the strength to take us through this moment. I think those are the two things for me, that sense of, purpose alignment to something but bringing it to life and behaviors and then understanding what each person's role is with that and then lifting them up and celebrating it as as often and as regularly as possible mm, amazing it sounds like that your your career has really helped you transition <laughs> into working with businesses right because what it, it when you say it, it seems obvious um how did you expect your athletic background to have been able to help you so much transition into what you're doing now? No, not at no, not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, but it's going back to it. Is that it is mostly mindset. It's mostly the psychology, because everybody, you know, particularly if you if you started your own business, you you have the skill set. You are technically accomplished, or you have the knowledge. And that base, that foundation to enable you to go and do the thing. But to really help it thrive is then about your attitude, your mindset. It's it's all those mental skills, the ability to manage your state, 
to mm. to find resilience, like to know what your support network is. Like I think all those things then other things that will help you really flourish. Um, and that's the difference between, you know, the okay teams and the outstanding, consistently exceptional teams. Mm. That's that's really I mean, I'm gonna go and listen to this and make some notes. <laughs> know all this stuff that's it's not rocket yeah. science is it i know it's but that. you know what when you i think and i find this when i'm teaching as well when i'm lecturing i know it but then when someone else says it back to me you just i don't know it just sinks in a bit more and then you go oh yeah it kind of reminds you no, you're, you're so you're so right, but that's why your podcast is so good. That's why, mm. you know, now we can we can take in so much more information, whether it's a podcast or a TED talk or a documentary on Netflix, like whatever it is, we can immerse ourselves in lots of different ways in, and and help our brain be curious and stretch it a bit, and and you go, oh yeah, no, yeah, that makes total perfect <laughs> sense. But I like why. Why didn't why we're not doing that or you know why yeah, yeah why you know why hadn't I thought of that before or yeah we we yeah. that's but it's good that we can do that now like in the you know olden days we said books that was it that's all we had <laughs> it really is so before we wrap up um your vision because I was looking at your yours and um Helen's website um your vision is still your purpose now yeah long after you know retiring from from hockey so um having a vision is super important both in I suppose in business and in our personal life but just how important is it to you it is really important but and you know, even like you and me having this conversation now, it's making me think about some things, decisions that I've got to make in my life at the moment. And it's making me think, this is a really clear decision. If I think about my vision, actually this, yeah. this decision is really clear, but I've been dancing around the edge of it going, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know what decision to make. Mm. And But now you've just said that, it's, ob it's obvious the decision that I have to make because this is what my purpose is and it's going to take me toward that so it's thank you for this therapy <laughs> session <laughs> you're <Basically>. welcome <laughs> i should be paying you money here i should be <laughs> therapists charge a lot <laughs> yeah i know wow <laughs> i went well, into the wrong profession whatever the decision is i'm glad you figured it out thank you <laughs> giving me clarity brilliant um so, is there anything that you'd wished I'd have asked you? Is there one question that you thought I was going to ask that I haven't? And if so, how would you have answered it? No, not at all. I mean, I think I came in with a really open mind and just wanted to have a chat, really. Yeah. And because I, you know, like I have, I've learned something and you've made me curious and now I'm going to go and take action off the back of this conversation. Like, that's that's a good conversation. So I think I know I wasn't really thinking about or expecting anything. You've, I think we've covered like all the major like learnings and um, the things that I've taken out of my athletic career and, and yeah. you know, used in, in my life now. So no, I think you've, 
You've got it all. Awesome. I always like to double check. No, you nailed it. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a wrap then. Thank Amazing. you. Pleasure. So much. That's been awesome. That has flown by. No, that was cool. No, it was um, lovely chatting to you. Yeah, and I appreciate your time. Pleasure. I really do. Absolute um, pleasure. Thank you for listening to Build Better Brands. I am so grateful to have you tuning into the show and I'd love to thank you personally. So wherever you are in the world, remember to tag at Danielle Clark Creative in your social media posts and stories. Let us know when you're listening. You want to know what you've enjoyed about the show and give you a shout out. And if you would like to help more people like you discover the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It's going to help us rank higher and reach more listeners. It's also a great way for us to help you with the problems your brand might be facing. Suggest a topic in your review and we might feature it and you in one of our episodes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.